You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Carol Hodson. Carol is a professor of art at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri, and a graduate intern in expressive arts therapy and mental health counseling at Lesley University. We'll be right back with Carol, but first, let's talk about in bed. Staying in bed. So I've been sick this week, and as most of you know, I actually have been doing really well with my depression and feeling good and mostly up actually and doing really well but this week I've been sick and staying in bed and it's funny but it's like a trigger I suddenly feel back to being depressed and all that's really happened is I'm sick and I need to be in bed I've spent the extra time that I have and get done with work and I come home and I'm tired and I get in bed and then I don't get up until I absolutely have to and go to work But something about getting back into that space of just staying in bed, which is the place I've been in the worst of my depression, has brought me back to like, I can't, it's hard because it's like, I can't, I am actually sick. I do need to be in bed. I need to rest. But I'm thinking maybe I should rest on the couch or something because it just makes, it makes me feel depressed. It's gotten me down. Just the thing of being in bed. It's such a common expression of depression. I looked up five signs of common mental health conditions on everydayhealth.com. And the five signs are appetite, sleep, where you oversleep or undersleep, concentration, just having a hard time focusing on things, which definitely I'm feeling while I'm sick, energy level. And they say with severe clinical depression, your energy is so low, you have trouble getting out of bed in the morning or carrying through your basic activities of daily living. People find themselves lying in bed, staying in pajamas all day long. Interest in activities that one would normally enjoy are as another sign. So if you normally enjoy things and suddenly you're not, but here's the thing, I'm sick. So my appetite's gone, my concentration's off, my energy levels are down, and my interest in regular activities is non-existent. So it's this weird thing of, it's making me in my head really relate to the fact that depression is an illness. It's almost exactly like having the flu. And having the flu makes me feel depressed because it's all the things I do when I'm depressed. So on that note, I just want to say, I hope you all are taking care of yourself mentally and physically as the holidays approach and all of the germs pop out from the woodwork and everyone's getting sick and we're all feeling depressed. And I just hope that you can reach out to whoever is helpful and whatever tools you have that help you. For me right now, I'm just drinking a lot of extra orange juice and reaching out to some friends to just talk to me (laughs) and trying to get out. I actually got out of the house today. I, I went and sat in a cafe rather than doing the work I needed to do at home. As the holidays approach, just just reach out. Today we have with us in the studio Carol Hodson. Carol is a professor of art at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri and a graduate intern in expressive arts therapy and mental health counseling at Lesley University. Hello, Carol. Welcome to the Depression Session. So what's new with you? What's going on in your world? Well, it's listening to you about lying in bed. 
I was thinking how jealous I am that you're in Arizona because I'm in St. Louis and it is just about dusk. It's 4.30 and it's flat gray with little hints of colored leaves still showing. I'm actually doing pretty good, but even with that, it still takes an hour to get out of bed. And the minute I walk in the door, I put on my pajamas. I think that for a lot of people, this time of year, especially if you live somewhere where the light shortens, compounds the issue. And when you feel that you don't want to do anything but stay in bed, that's a that's a good sign to uh, pick up your phone call, I think, pick up the telephone, talk to somebody. Uh, it's gray. It's it's rainy. It's flat. It's cold. Cold front coming in, and I uh, cuddling up till the springtime. Sounds like a smart thing to do. <laughs> Not realistic, but. But it's funny. I grew up in Michigan, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of cold weather. I'll just say that. I, I belong in Arizona. It's a good place for me. I'm a total lizard. But there, there, it's so beautiful in Michigan. It's such a gorgeous place to live with the lakes and the trees and so green in the summer. And it, the, the winter is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. The problem is, is the clouds roll in. Mm-hmm. And you don't see the sun again until April. Yeah. And I yeah. can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah my, I usually, this time of year, I start some craft project so that I can be as close to my fireplace as possible. I'm an artist, but my studio is not really all season. So when this weather hits, I get out the yarn and I sit by the fire and I make more gloves and scarves than any human being could need. This year, I'm, I'm doing an embroidery piece and I decided it'll take me through to spring I have no plan or pattern or any colors in mind, and it just says the words, embrace ambiguity, because mm. I feel as if this is the time, both personally, because of the season, the place I am in my life right now, I have a mother who's um, very ill, and politically, all I can do is just say, I don't know, and I might as well embrace that, so while I'm trying to wrap my head around how little I know, I've decided I'll embroider it. It'll hang in my office when I'm finally a therapist, I think. <laughs> I, I love that. And are you going to probably put in some of those colors you're missing in your environment? You know, I, I every color I could possibly find is in there. And it is the least aesthetic thing I could possibly make. I decided that I really couldn't even plan the colors. I just had to go for whatever I grab. That's ambiguous. That's a strict choice. There's no aesthetic behind that. Do it anyways. There's no pattern to where the stitching is going. It's basically one, except for the words, it's a gigantic embroidered scribble. So mm. if you can imagine just making a scribble very slow through the winter months, that's sort of what I'm uh, doing to keep myself, you know, sane in those after hours so I don't go straight to bed. I um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should start a project this winter. <laughs> there's something to it. I mean, you know, there's something about the, the softness of it, and I think there's something about the mindless of certain kinds of crafts, mm-hmm. but it's something that can be mindless and repetitive, but it can also be something that you, you give forward. You know, it ends up being a blanket or a hat or something you give to the, you know, the preemie ward or, you know, Goodwill or something. So it's that sense of not being able to do anything. At least there's a little something. And worse comes to worse, you unravel it at the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Most of our day gets unraveled at the end of the night anyway, so. All in my head it does, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, Carol, tell us the story of your depression. Well, it's a, a 
it's a long story, and yet it's not one that I can think of a single anecdote that captures it. So I think what, I, what I'd like to actually talk, talk a little bit about is where I am right now with my depression and my relationship to my mother, who also has bipolar, especially coming out of the, your conversation about staying in bed. So my mom is the mother of seven kids and 18 grandkids and has struggled with bipolar her whole life. I was probably 30-something when I finally got my diagnosis, so I struggled with depression. Just thought that the mania was just that I believed myself to be brilliant and <laughs> didn't really see it as a side effect or a symptom. But anyway, she's been in bed now for a couple of months. She had been on lithium most of her life, and that kept her in the world. And in April, she reached a toxic balance of lithium, had to go off of it, and has been resistant to all other medication. And I've watched this woman who understands this roller coaster we share just go into darkness and gradually go into bed and then not get out. Since April, she's lost probably 40 pounds and won't speak on the phone, has stopped wanting to shower. And so we as a family have been trying to find an alternative. Most people such as myself who have depression or bipolar can usually find a fair degree of stability with a combination of therapy, self-care, creativity, and medication. And I think because the meds worked for her early on, she never really developed those other coping skills. And now at 80-something, she's not interested in crocheting. So we've actually started her on TMS, which is something I don't know if you've talked about it on your show at all, but it's a, it's a very interesting new development in depression treatment. It refers to transcranial magnetic stimulation. And it is sort of, you know, ect light in a certain way. There are a number of practitioners across the world, a handful in the States, who are trained and qualified to use this machinery, which essentially targets the areas of the brain that are most depressed with magnetic stimulation, causing them to fire. And then you repeat this treatment every day, five days a week for up to six weeks, 40-minute sessions. And there has been some solid empirical evidence that's showing that it can really help a fair amount. And so we're on the last leg of hope. We've started to do this. Sadly, it's not covered by insurance at this point. It's incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. But the family has decided we need to allow her this kind of chance at dignity. And so we've got the aides who get her out of bed and feed her and shower her and take her for a 40-minute drive and sit with her for an hour of treatment, and the next day they do it again. So we're just a couple weeks into that, but we're praying that it lets her come back to the light so she can at least you know, close her life with some sense of, um, of hope right now. Anything and everything she's believed in is, is, is in the darkness. It's in, in there. And so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about her, and I've been thinking about my relationship to her, especially that we have a similar diagnosis. And 
in the process of the last few months, I've gone to visit her a couple of times and have sat with her. I'm probably the one kid who could say to her, you know, don't let this beast get you. You know, don't let it win. Don't go out this way. Don't just fade away and give up. And she will respond. The last time I saw her, she she wouldn't get out of bed. And so I just got in bed with her and I stroked her hair. Because I get it. And in thinking about this, and the last time I was there, I started to, to try to figure out in my head what was a metaphor that both she and I could share to talk about this, to talk about how we feel when we're manic or depressed as an illness always seemed very um, distancing. And now that I'm studying mental health, you know, even what illness this is or how it works or what the DSM calls it changes every five years, depending on how the doctors are packaging it. And in one of my conversations with her, we started talking about her growing up in Brooklyn. And she reminded me of the Coney Island roller coaster there. And I've been on that roller coaster. It's an old crickety wooden monster. And when you get to the top, you look out over the ocean and then shoom, you're down. And I thought, that's it. This is the metaphor. This is the, the Coney Island of our mind, which is a, a quote from a Ferlinghetti poem, actually. And with that metaphor, I started to interview her in some small bits about her memory of Brooklyn growing up. And I started to mix that with some research into how many times bipolar has even changed its name in the period of time she's owned this illness and lived with it. And I started to do a lot of writing just to see if I couldn't express what it feels like to me. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to read a, an excerpt. One of the things that has helped me all of my years, in addition to some good doctors and friends, is the creative arts. And writing is sometimes the place I can get to fastest. So this is a, an excerpt that I read, I wrote thinking about my mother and this link we share. The first drop. I've always liked the term manic depression. Manic depression is honest. It's how it feels. You're manic and everything is beautiful. The wind is rushing through your hair, regardless of the color you've dyed it on that given day. And no matter how loud you scream, people think you're having fun. At the top of the first drop, for a brief fraction of a moment, the view of the ocean mesmerizes you. And then you begin to plummet and everything begins to blur. Clear blue sky becomes wet gray sand and still you fall faster and deeper into the blue, brown, now black, blacker, blackest ocean. And only the ocean is big enough to hold that depth, that death. The ocean is cold and mysterious and mostly uncharted. It's a place where there is so much diversity that there are species yet to be named. Creatures colorful and unfamiliar, different than the tropical angelfish in the expensive fish tank in the waiting room of my first psychiatrist's office. Different than the goldfish you win for your kid at a carnival and flush a week later. Yes, in the ocean there are creatures that swim deeper than the net of human language can reach. Fantastic, magical, fast, slow, frightening, wonderful creatures that swim fluidly through, around, and beyond the constructs of scientific diagnosis. 
Depression rules in the lightless depths where the sun can't reach, where the bits of glowing light that tease you into something like hope are the bioluminescent tentacles of something that might eat you or at least sting you and leave you numb. So numb you stop swimming, but you're not quite floating and you wish you could sink faster to rest finally on the bottom like a sunken carcass of a white beluga whale in a time-lapse underwater documentary. You wish you could be that puffy, white, rotten, cannibalized corpse of a white whale because at least that's interesting and dramatic and makes for classic novels of the stuff of Ahab or at least perhaps a PBS documentary. So as I continued with this uh, writing exercise and this visit with my mother, I took the metaphor of the roller coaster further and I looked at the shifting of the diagnosis over the time and I tried to share some of this with her um, she could only speak for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and then she would be tired again. Part of the discussion came to the, you know, came to the idea of, of labels and terms and how do we find the terms that, that best fit this. And so one of the things that we were talking about was the names of the medications that we take. We started to actually even pun about that a little bit, which was, uh, which was kind of fun. One of the things that I did the last I saw her was read her the entirety of this paper that I wrote and these essays that I've been working on. And I was a little worried about it because I really do describe in it the bottom and, and how unattractive it all is. And I read it to my mother and she stared sort of dead-eyed ahead and I wasn't even sure if she was able to process as much as I had said. And when I finished, she said, you know, I just, I'm sorry that you got this from me. And I said, you know, I'm not sharing this with you to blame you for, you know, our DNA. And I'm fine. I'm okay. I've got, I've got science. I've got time. I've got all these possibilities. And she said, well, I also want to thank you because I never thought that the thing I hated the most could become your greatest strength. And putting it into words lets me know that it hasn't been in vain, that even if it takes me down, you're going to keep working to help people and find ways to express it. And, you know, it was, it's a, it's a mix of, you know, if you, if you could choose to have it again, would you? And I think what she was saying at the time was she finally saw, even as she was suffering with it, that it has had so much to do with who I've become and what I've chosen to dedicate my life to and how I've strived to make art out of it, that, that maybe it's okay. It, it is what it is. Carol, thanks so much for your story. I really related to a lot of things in there, especially the mother-daughter stuff. My mother and I are very close, and mm -hmm. she has had a lot of... She, she was diagnosed with bipolar at one point, and I'm like, I don't... I don't think you're bipolar, mom. <laughs> I've known you for a long time. And then she, it, she was ended up being off that medication, but she has had some really severe depression. I've even had her on the show to tell her story, which one of my friends was listening in the car. She was driving around town and she said, I just stopped and was just bawling with your mom's story. It really touched me. 
And the the depths to her depression, I remember her saying when when she was really in a bad spot, I'm at the bottom of a deep, dark pit and I can't see the light. And when my depression was bad, it was so nice and comforting to be able to call my mom and know that she knew exactly how I felt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's what's, you know, when, when you called me today, kind of out of the blue on a, on a gray Friday to do this interview, my first thought was, no, I feel good today. I don't want to talk about depression. My second thought was, any opportunity to talk about this and let people hear that this is so utterly common and so deeply painful and very isolating. And whatever language lets people go, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. That's what maybe lets them reach out to somebody. My mother's support of me is what let me not only reach out, but probably lead a lot of other people to all different kinds of treatment and support since. And even now, when I find myself struggling, I say, now I not only have me to take care of, but I've got a 14-year-old girl, and I've got students and clients, and you can't hole up. Um, yes, you can wear pajamas to work sometimes. You can get away with that. But you've, you've got to keep doing the work of wellness. And it, and it's not like it's a once and done. I mean, it is a, a lifetime commitment, but there's not really any other option unless you or, or you're on the bottom, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad you are doing this show, and uh, maybe my uh, – my rotten corpse monologue will make it to Broadway someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved it. And well, and it's funny because last night I dreamt of sharks in the water. I was in the ocean walking along the shore with a bunch of people. And then I realized there were sharks in the water. And I was thinking about that today, just on and off because I often dream, there are moments when I go through these series of having dreams of the ocean and being able to see into it and see sharks or whales or just huge, enormous beings just under the surface of the water. And I always relate it to my depression. Sure. Well, you know, it's a Jungian archetype all the way. (laughs) And there's a reason for those archetypes. I mean, the ocean is... We know less about that than we do, you know, other worlds in some ways. I mean, it, it's it's the unknown, and you have to respect the power of that unknown. But given that, doesn't mean I'm not going to get wet. You know? It doesn't mean I'm going to be afraid of it. And I think, you know, when I first started researching my own depression, I found so many terminology through writers, and, you know, Lord Byron referred to his depression as you know the black dog or the beast i had had dreams of black dogs for years the, the look on my mother's face right now it's the, it's the eyes of a shark there's nobody in there it's just this lifelessness and i think that though we have those images for for whatever reason i think there's sometimes the best way to talk about it because we can talk metaphorically and maybe gain some understanding from, you know, autumn and winter and sharks and the oceans, but also, you know, that's where we find the next medication for, to to cure cancer. That's where we find the kind of the beauty of, of cycles. I look more and more to natural metaphor in my work to try to understand that, well, this is part of it. I don't want my, my struggles that I have. I mean, I, I'm not willing to give a quarter of the year and say that's my winter every year. I uh, work very hard to to keep it 
at maintenance, but I just, you know, want to encourage anybody in your audience to say, if you're struggling, if it feels like that, if you get that, just ask for help. There is, there's a lot, there's a lot that can be done, so much more than there was when my mother first began, and she still managed to have 18 grandkids and uh, <laughs> lead, a, lead a rich life, so partly, partly for yourself, partly for her, for all of us who have this strange quirk of uh, chemistry reach out. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was one other thing I wanted to just relate to was I, I love so much that your mother could see the gift in the thing that she hated so much that, that I relate to really, really strongly because I spent a lot of time saying F you depression, yeah, <laughs> get sure. away from me. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want it. You're useless that. And then in the process of doing this show, I realized it's part of me and I can't reject a part of me and to lean into it and say, hello, depression, and just make friends with it a little bit and allow it to be or something. I, I, I haven't quite figured out what that part is, but for me, one of the helpful things has been to recognize that my depression is is it isn't me but it's definitely a part of me that I need to make friends with and to be okay with and to not judge because judging it was really doing my me a lot of damage yeah I mean I I think that what I value from mine besides the fact that it gives you great material to uh write (laughs) melodramatic songs about um no what I really value from mine is that it's taught me how to recognize it in someone else. And so I, I accept my challenge and I seek to keep it at bay. I don't confuse my chemistry with my identity, but I do know that because I have been there, I can spot someone in a crowd. And because I work with college aged students, you know, I can see someone across a room and I can know from a glance or just a kind of glassed over eye. And I, and I know also what to say. And, uh, you know, I had a, a, a client come just the other day and finally say, I think it's depression. And just being able to give it a word and say, it might be, and this is what it's like. And it's not the end of the world. It's a different, it's a different way of understanding the world. But it's actually a way that has given me the chance to see much more deeply into what people bring just to get up every day. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect way to end this show. And thank you so much for being on the depression session. You're welcome. My pleasure. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.